We're having a good journey through the alphabet, but we're not going very fast. We're to the E's. And we have talked about the economy, and today we're going to talk about eternal life. And some of you think they're very closely related. I have a message in my heart. I hope I can deliver it to your heart this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit. These two passages we have read from, Matthew chapter 7 and John chapter 3, are key passages in the life and ministry of Jesus. One of them, of course, is part of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talked about the straight gate and the narrow way, and then the broad way, and then in John 3, that marvelous, marvelous golden text of the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave. When we talk about eternal life, Job's question from the Old Testament comes ringing into our ears through the centuries. If a man die, shall he live again? It's in Job 14, verse 14. People of all generations have sought an answer to that question. If a man die, shall he live again? Now, it is my discovery that something within man says that death and the grave are not the end. That's my discovery. I don't care if they're a believer or a non-believer, there's something in man that says death and the grave are not the end. Now, one reason I believe that is because folk have the audacity to believe in reincarnation, which is the most absurd thing that I've ever come across. But the reason they will accept something so absurd as reincarnation is that inside of them, they know that death and the grave are not it. That's not the end. And so they've got to come up with something besides Jesus to give them an answer. But it just doesn't fit, doesn't work. I am not planning to come back as a bug Somehow that doesn't appeal to me very much. Nor does it fit with anything that God has ever said in the Bible. What he did say in Hebrews 9.27 is, It is appointed unto men once to die, and after that, the judgment. That he did say, and that I subscribe to totally. Now, you might ask, why is this instinct in us? Why is it that we feel that death and the grave are not the end? Is it possible that the instinct within the carrier pigeon which leads him safely to his home is not in man the highest order in the creation? That, to me, is absurd to think also. What brings the carrier pigeon back home brings man to a place of confrontation with eternal God. Some point in his life, he's going to have to deal with God. He comes to look face to face with God. God has so ordained it. Now it could come through a crisis, and if so, thank God for the crises. It could come through sickness, 
It could come through a billboard along a highway or a tract somebody hands you on the street. Or it could come in a setting just like this where the Holy Spirit says, today, 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 today. You see, the Bible's filled with that word. Today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Today is the accepted time. Hebrews 3, 7, today, if you will hear his voice. Luke 23, 43, he said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. There is a today for all of us in God's economy. And if it's today, listen to the voice of God. And in our Matthew text, Jesus spoke of two ways, the way of life and the way of death, a narrow way and a broad way. And in John 3, 3, he said to Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Now, what does it mean to be born again? It simply means that God has provided you a bridge to cross from the way of death to the way of life. It's that simple. A little girl was taking her first train ride, and she kept noticing as she glanced out the window large bodies of water ahead, and she was worried about how that train was going to get across those bodies of water, but every time she got close to where they were, she noticed that they had built a bridge over those bodies of water. Finally, with a sigh of relief and confidence in her train ride, she said, Someone has put bridges all the way. Well, friends, in a sense, that's exactly what being born again is about. God has provided a bridge for us to pass from death to life, from darkness to light, from eternal loss to eternal gain, and we would be foolish not to cross that bridge that God has so graciously provided. Now, two things I want to leave with you today. One, a common error on the way to eternal life. Let me deal with that first. Here is the common error that I have found on the way to eternal life. It is that if I'll do better, somehow I will measure up and be accepted by God. Conviction hits people in various ways, and the idea comes to them to try to do better and little by little break the chains of sin. That is an error that needs to be confronted today from this pulpit. D.L. Moody said one time, in answer to this common error, suppose a man came to me and said, Mr. Moody, I'm in a terrible circumstance. I've stolen $1,500 from my employer. What shall I do? Mr. Moody evaluated and said, shall I tell the man to think it over and not make any change in a hurry? Should I say that next year he should only steal 1000 and the year following only $500 and in three or four years he will scarcely be stealing anything at all? He said, of course not. Repentance and faith in Christ, and this is what I like, repentance and faith in Christ is an act of the moment. 
I believe that. Repentance and faith in Christ is an act of the moment. We used to have what we called the mourner's bench. The altar is another word for it. And what is the mourner's bench and what is the altar but a place for the moment where we can bow in his holy presence and say, my Lord and my God, I'm a sinner. I don't work my way into betterment. I can do nothing in and of myself. My hope is built on Jesus' blood and righteousness in this moment. I trust Christ as the bridge to eternal life and to God the Father, and by Jesus I am eternally safe. You don't do it by getting better and better. It's not in you to do it. You trust Christ. Part of that error is in another frame of reference. I'll do good. Well, you don't earn eternal life. It's a gift. You have tried to drop off bad habits by yourself. Don't look at me with such a puzzled look. I know you. I've been around here almost 15 years now. And I know you've tried. But it doesn't work. Attempting living right without Christ is trying much like trying to destroy weeds by cutting off the top of the weeds. Just doesn't work. The roots are still there. The weeds grow right up again and spread themselves, sometimes making it worse than it was before. Weeds have a way of spreading. You don't cut the tops off. You get down underneath and pull them out by the roots. Paul speaks of being a new creation. And E.H. Chapin wrote, Goodness consists not in the outward things we do, but in the inward thing we are. To be is the great thing. So may I dispel the common error on the way to eternal life? Doing good, becoming better in and of ourselves. It happens particularly in January with New Year's resolutions which become this year's broken promises because we can't do it in and of ourselves. We need the power of Almighty God to break the hold of the devil, to break the hold of habits, to break the hold of sin. It cannot be done apart from Jesus Christ. I was talking to a man one day who was dressed nicely, who felt he had life in order, and he said, I'm okay. I'm okay. I don't cheat anybody. I haven't cheated on my wife. I've not committed adultery. I pay my bills. In fact, I'm a lot better than some of those people in your church. And I had to agree with him. But I said, you've got one problem. He said, what's that? I said, if what you have told me was enough, then Jesus Christ would never have had to die on the cross like he did. 
Why did God send his most prized possession? If you paying your bills and not cheating on your wife and being an upstart citizen was good enough. And he looked at me with a puzzled look and had no response because he knew I was right. It's not our goodness. It is Christ's sacrifice that saves us. And we need to come to him and say as Thomas, my Lord and my God, I trust you and you alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Now secondly, there is a stated fact on the way to eternal life that we need to do something with today. We've looked at the common error. Let's look at a stated fact. You read it. I read it this morning. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him or trusts him should not perish. That's one side. But have everlasting life. That's the other side. Stated fact. The great sin is not murder. The great sin is not theft. The great sin is not adultery. The great sin is the rejection of Christ as the Savior of the world. That's the great sin. And the stated fact is that He's the only way. There aren't 210 ways. There aren't many highways to God. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. That's the stated fact. And so Jesus forgave the murderer. Christ forgave the harlot. Jesus forgave the thief. Why? Because he had the power to do that. No one else does. God so loved the world that he gave his son to do this. That's the fact. And we need to get out of our brains all this muddle today of different ways and different gods and different paths and different doctrines. None of those will suffice. Only Jesus will take care of you. In the hour of death, only Christ is enough to get into eternal life. What can you do if you fail to embrace this truth of truth? Have you ever thought about that? What are your alternatives? Hebrews chapter 10 speaks to that. I'd like you to take your Bible and open to that passage with me for a moment. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26. The, the uh, setting is titled, The Just Shall Live by Faith. Listen to the writer to the Hebrews. For if we sin willfully... After we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for sins. But a certain, listen, a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire indignation which will devour the adversaries. It's like the old Indian who said to the missionary, as he came to die, I have tried the Indian way. It has led me to a dead end. And he said, I want to try the Jesus way as he faced eternity. 
Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? What are you going to say to that? How much worse punishment if you trample the Son of God underfoot? If you count the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing and insulted the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. He is a God of love, but he's a God of justice as well. The Lord will judge his people. In verse 31 says, is it, or it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. What can the person do who fails to embrace this truth? And what can God do for the person who fails to embrace this truth? Judgment, punishment, separation. The element of faith is introduced by Jesus in this great passage in John. Whoever believes in him, whoever trusts in him, will have everlasting life. Now there are many different twists to a story that I'm sure you've heard. I'll give you mine. The famous tightrope walker who crossed Niagara Falls on a cable. His daring plan had been announced publicly. A great crowd had gathered at Niagara to observe this. People thought he was crazy. A certain lady said she knew this man and was certain that he could do it. And he did. He walked across that cable with the spray of Niagara hitting that cable and hitting him. But he was good. When he got to the other side, he announced he would walk across that cable pushing a wheelbarrow. And he did. People doubted, but the lady said, I know he can do it. After he did that, he said he would cross the cable with a person in the wheelbarrow. But no one was willing to submit. Someone suggested at that moment that the lady who was so for this man would accept the offer since she believed in him so strongly. But heaven and earth could not induce her to get into the wheelbarrow. Now, have you got that in focus? She's telling the whole world. She knows he can do it. When he walks by himself and when he pushes the wheelbarrow across that cable. But when it comes to her getting into the wheelbarrow, no way he could carry someone else across the Niagara, but not her. Which translates into our message this way. He can save others, but is not able to save me. Now that's what Jesus is speaking to in this passage. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, who trusts him sufficiently to get into the wheelbarrow and let him carry him across the chasm, to him eternal life is given. But you've got to get into the wheelbarrow, not just stand back and say, well, I believe he can do it for somebody else. You've got to believe he can do it for you. And I've tried, and I've found him enough. So what must I do? 
There are about three things, that's all. Now, somebody might list 35 things for you to do. I'm just going to give you three. They're very simple. Number one is repent. Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, Peter said. Felix trembled as he listened to Paul speak of righteousness and judgment to come. But his convictions did not produce repentance. At a more convenient season, I will hear you, Felix said to Paul. And in the same book, the book of Acts, King Agrippa said to Paul, Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. Some of you are at that point. Some of you have come here service after service after service, and you've never gotten in the wheelbarrow. You're like Agrippa. You're like Felix. Almost. I want to confront you with a question. What are you waiting for? Do you have any promise of tomorrow? Do you have any hope for the future outside of Jesus Christ? I submit to you, you have none. Oh, you say, but I have my health. It can be gone in a moment. I'm young. You can get stricken in a moment. You have no other foundation than Jesus Christ. Repent. We're going to sing in a few moments, number 437 in the book. Don't reach for it now, but the hymn writer captured this thought under the heading of almost persuaded. The first verse says, almost persuaded now to believe, almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul will say, go, Spirit, go thy way, some more convenient day. On thee I'll call. What a foolish thing to say. Repent. Now. Turn in sorrow from your sin to him who died that you might have eternal life. And that life begins the moment you receive him. The second thing I would recommend you do to do is to realize what Christ has done. Two men had been friends and companions in their youth. They now met years later in a police court. One was the judge, the other the prisoner. The case was tried and the prisoner found guilty. Would the judge consider their friendship reason to omit judgment? The judge, faithful to his call, gave the sentence. Time in prison, payment of fine. The condemned man said, I have nothing that I can pay. As soon as the judge pronounced sentence, he took his robe off and leaped from the bench and stood next to his former friend and said, John, I'll take care of the fine. You're going to come home with me today for dinner. Friends, that's exactly what Jesus has done. And I want to paint it in that simplicity. Consider what Christ has done. He took your place. He paid the bill. 
He provided a way out. And you do not have to die. You do not have to perish. You do not have to spend eternity without hope, without God. Now, after repentance and realizing what Christ has done, and he's the only one that could do it for you, number three is be real. Be real. Be a genuine Christian. The Christian life is more than a profession. It's a possession. It's having Christ in your life. You support the work of God. You become a separated Christian. You make Jesus number one in your life. That's a big concern to me today. There are people who don't like the thought of the flames of hell. And so they say, yes, I'll take that. But they don't let Christ possess them. You have to trail them to find them. They're going here and there doing their thing. Jesus Christ wants you to be possessed by him and for you to follow him as a real person and make a change in your life by his power and by his grace. A woman was to play the organ for a wedding I read about the other day, and she'd never been in that church, and so she'd never seen the organ. So when she came in sat at the bench, she noticed that there was a set of keys, just a tiny little keyboard that came out from underneath the manual of the organ. And so she pulled it out, and she played a little children's song on it and heard nothing. There was no sound. So she played a few more bars and no sound when suddenly a man rushed into the building and said, Who in the world is playing three blind mice on the carolin outside the church? See, when I leave the pulpit on Sunday, I have to think, what does the church hear, or what does the community hear when the people leave the church? What does the community observe when the people leave the sanctuary? What is their life like? Has it really been redeemed by the blood of Christ? Are they real people sold out to Jesus? Or are they going to talk about Jesus out of one side of their mouth and do something out of the other? See, God wants you to be real. They shall be called Christians, the Bible says, and they were known as Christians first in Antioch. What does it mean? Christ's ones, followers of Christ. And that meant separation, and in many cases, it meant death. Any other faith leads nowhere. Dead end. Faith in Christ leads one direction. Eternal life. Do you have it? Do you have it? Are you on the way? Is Christ real to you now? If you should die today, would you have the nerve, the audacity to stand before God and say, let me in to your kingdom? I can do that. Because I've trusted Jesus alone. And you can do that too. If you will cut away everything else. And trust Jesus 
alone. It's Jesus that died. It's Jesus that rose again. It's Jesus that ascended to the right hand of God. It's Jesus that is interceding for you right now. It's Jesus that's coming again for you. That you might be presented worthy before the Father and His holy angels. Are you prepared? The story is told of a fox who came to the mouth of a cave, stood there for a bit, did not go into the cave, finally turned and walked away, and somebody said, why didn't you go into the cave? And the fox said, many tracks were going in. I saw none coming out. Smart fox. I hear about many tracks today, about many ways to follow, but my friend, those are dead-end streets. They go in, but they don't come out. But Jesus Christ went into the tomb, and he came out. And he came out victorious, living, Redeemer and Lord. And he has the power to help us live the way we ought to live, to be the kind of people we ought to be. And I want you to turn from your sin. I want you to turn from your wickedness. I want you to turn from your hypocrisy if it's fitting for you to do it. today. I want you to trust Jesus alone. There's a narrow gate that leads to life. There's a broad road that leads to death. Let's get off the broad way. Let's have the courage to stand up and say, He did this for me. I'm going to live for Him. It's the only hope that we have. Let's bow our heads together. And I ask no one to move for a few moments, please. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, we need the Holy Spirit. We need help. We need Jesus. We've preached a simple gospel message today based on the words of Jesus himself in Matthew 7 and John 3. We believe those words. They are eternal words. And now we ask that you would help people who need to embrace Christ to do it today. Boldly, publicly, openly, to say, Jesus, I trust you as my Savior and Lord. I trust you now. With our heads bowed, I'm going to ask you to do something very, very easy and yet very significant. If you need Christ in your life today, you need the forgiveness of sin and you want eternal life. I want you to raise your hand up and say, Pastor Cole, thank you for preaching that simple message about the gospel of Jesus today. I want to take him as my savior. I want eternal life. And I do believe he is the only way to obtain it. Would you raise your hand right now where you sit while people's heads are bowed? Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Hands over here, thank you. Back there over to my left, thank you. God bless you. I'm looking in the balcony for a moment. Hands up there, raise them up. I need Jesus, young person. You don't have any guarantees. Only in Christ is there hope for tomorrow. Are there others that would like to raise their hand that have not raised them? Yes, ma'am. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. My, 
many hands. Tell you what, let's stand reverently and quietly in the presence of God. I want those of you who have raised your hand to take an even bolder step. I want you to come right down here and bow at this altar. It's the mourner's bench. I want you to come freely and quickly and say by coming publicly, Lord Jesus, I embrace your gospel. We have people that will give you a tape that I've put together that will help you and a booklet that will instruct you in the things that we've talked about today. But we need you to come. Everyone Jesus called when he was here on earth, he called publicly. He said, come, follow me. Will you come from wherever you were when you raised your hand? God bless you as you come. I want us to sing that old hymn, Almost Persuaded, as Pastor Randy leads us. Come as we sing. Don't be like Agrippa. Don't be like Felix. Almost. Come all the way. Come all the way. Sir, come all the way. Come to Jesus. Ma'am, come to Jesus. Christ to receive. God bless you, fellas. Young people need to come. Men need to come. Women need to come. Lord Jesus, I trust you today. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If I understand anything about eternity, it is that we will have memory in eternity because in Luke 16, the rich man died and he went to hell. And Jesus said he remembered his brethren, his brothers, five of them. And he asked that somebody would go and tell them about eternity. You see, you will remember this service. You'll remember this moment when the Holy Spirit called to you. Don't be in the almost category. Come all the way. Sing the first verse again, Randy, please. Come as we sing, wherever you are. Come. Bow your knee in the presence of Jesus. Let Jesus touch you. Let Jesus save you. Let Jesus redeem you. Let Jesus be your Lord and your Redeemer today. Hallelujah. Christ to Seems now some soul will say, Hallelujah. Go, Spirit, go thy way. Thank you, Jesus. Some more convenient day. Thank you, Jesus. Has everybody come that needs to come? That's the burden of the preacher's heart when the clock keeps moving and we know other people are waiting to come in. Has everybody come that needs to come? Will this be the last preacher's voice you will ever hear? That's what I leave this place thinking and wondering week by week. Will this be the last chance I have to compel you to come to Jesus. It could be. With history shaping up like it is, it very well could be. Have you come? Have you trusted him? Are you living for him? If this should be the day, are you really ready? 
One more verse, whatever one, I don't care, but I want just these few moments left and then we're going to close. If you haven't come and you need to come, come. God loves you. I love you. We want to pray with you before you leave. Almost persuaded. Oh God, hear our cry today. Come, come hear our cry today. Almost persuaded. Turn not Invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Thank you, Lord. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Oh, wanderer, come. Lord, we know that in that line that is the heart of God expressed, O wanderer, come. Some way along, somewhere along life's road, you appeal to us to come. Sometimes it's in a service like this, sometimes it's out away from the sanctuary, but you never let us pass through this life without an appeal to our heart to come. Come, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Lord, we thank you for those that have come. Hallelujah. Bless them with salvations, peace, and light. Come to them in power. Forgive them of their sin. And may this be the day of days when they know they were born again, their second birthday, Father, for any who are still weighing the decision, be merciful to them, and may before the night comes they make the choice to trust Jesus, to know that he's the bridge over troubled waters, and he will be to them what he said he would be. Keep your people, and help us as we leave here to be a light brightly burning, shining for Jesus with a clear witness, not a clouded witness, but a clear witness of what a Christian really is and should be, we ask in Jesus' name. And those of you who need water baptism, take that second step today. Repent and be baptized. Come over by the flag. <clears throat> get the material that will help you get into the class and into the baptismal waters, and you will be blessed in doing it.